Welcome to the Think Neuro podcast, where we talk with doctors at Pacific Neuroscience Institute who are treating the most challenging brain diseases and disorders. I'm your host, Anthony Effinger. Your brain is an energy hog. It accounts for just 1% of your body weight, but it consumes about 20% of your total energy. All that work requires oxygen, so large arteries are constantly rushing blood to your brain, where it filters into smaller and smaller vessels. That intense pressure can cause problems. If one of those tiny vessels is weak, it can bulge like a balloon. Dr. Walavan Sivakumar, a neurosurgeon, takes a special interest in these balloon-like malformations called aneurysms, because when they burst, they fill the brain with blood, and they can be fatal in about half of all cases, unless they get immediate care from a neurovascular surgeon like him. Studies suggest that at least 3% of people are walking around with a vascular malformation like an aneurysm. Most are not a problem and are found incidentally for other reasons. We can protect ourselves by controlling our blood pressure and avoiding smoking, which weakens artery walls. Listen to this episode to hear more about how to care for the intricate system that supplies blood to your energy-hungry brain and what to do if something goes wrong. Thanks for joining me. Of course. Thank you very yeah. much. This so great. tell me a little bit about your practice. Sure. Um, as you mentioned, I'm a neurosurgeon. I focus primarily on cranial surgery, so complex cranial surgery, dealing with brain tumors, pituitary tumors, as you mentioned. And I also do cerebrovascular neurosurgery. So aneurysms in the brain, and we've talked about another podcast, vascular malformations, abnormal communications between arteries and veins. I take those out of the brain. And carotid stenosis, which is uh, neck disease in the blood vessels of the neck that can cause stroke. So I go in there and sort of fix that up. Hmm. When you talk about malformations um, in blood vessels in the brain, what are, we, what are we talking about there? The brain, while it's only 1% of the body weight of the entire brain, it brings in 20% of the blood flow at any given time for the whole body. So that's really important because you're getting a rush of blood into your brain at all times. And the way that the brain takes that blood into the brain the way it's supposed to without causing catastrophic injury to the structures and you know, likely resulting in death, is it has a very complex process where the arteries go into smaller arteries, which go into smaller arteries called capillaries. And that network is really vast and really tiny, and it decreases the pressure of the blood in the brain. And then when it goes from the arteries to the vein to drain back to the heart, it goes back into these really tiny veins and larger veins still to try to diffuse that pressure within the brain. That process is a really complex network. In arteriovenous malformations, that gets disrupted. So you basically have uh, a big, strong, high-pressure artery going into a very weak, walled vein. And when you have that high pressure, mm. you have the possibility, the high possibility of problems, bleeding, seizures, taking away blood flow from uh, important parts of the brain. So you can't have that. And there are a lot of different things that you need to do to kind of fix that and reestablish normal mm. blood flow to the brain. So you've got, sort of got this hose of Correct. blood 
coming into the brain. Correct. And it has to it has to be under high pressure because the brain is mm-hmm. such a vital an organ, oxygen, blood hungry yeah. organ. Yeah, is yeah. That, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. Exactly. And when you're doing that, you need to get a lot of blood flow up there, and the vessels bringing them into the brain are actually very strong. They have muscles in the wall. The arteries. Correct, correct, correct. They're strong, okay. And they can modulate the pressure and sort of handle all of that flow going in. The veins don't have that. So when you don't have that, uh, you can't modulate, you can't control, and you're, you're at the mercy of what's going on before it gets to that point. Arteries are, give me the, give me the difference between arteries and veins. Sure. The arteries tend to bring blood oxygen, oxygen rich blood to a certain tissue wherever it's needed. In this case, we're talking about the brain. And once that blood gets there and the oxygen's been delivered to, you know, a certain thing, in this case, the brain, then it needs to be removed. And the way it gets removed is through the venous system. So in any, like any other organ, once the blood has given the oxygen to the part of the brain that it's needed, it gets taken back and it needs to go back to the heart and then to the lungs to then get refilled with oxygen. So it'll go through these venules, smaller veins, and then they'll go into these larger veins, the veins that we see on pictures of the brain. And it actually gets drained into these very large dural-based veins called sinuses. And that's where all of the veins... Dural? So dura is the covering of the brain. Okay. And the brain and the spinal cord are covered by these very complex structures called dura. And they wrap around and uh, go around. They They go over and around the brain and the spinal cord. And within them, they have these leaves within the dura that basically act as outflow pathways for the blood. So these veins drain into these venous sinuses, so vein sinuses, and send the blood back into the main veins of your neck, the internal jugular veins that I'm sure you've heard of, and then through the face and other outflow pathways. And that's the way you bring deoxygenated or oxygen poor blood back to the heart to get filled up with oxygen again. And the problem here is in the vein network. Is that where you're... It's where the arteries connect to the veins. Okay. So to do this right and to do it safely, it's a really complex interplay of getting from these large hosers Mm. to these large veins through a network of Mm -hmm. smaller vessels. If you don't have this network, that's when you run into problems. And are... Is this congenital in many cases? A lot of them are. A lot of them are. A lot of them are uh, congenital. A lot of them are actually the majority of, when you talk about vascular lesions, aneurysms, AVMs, fistulas, a lot of them are congenital. Okay. You're born with them and they either stay stable or they can change over time and get more problematic. And with all those things you just named, like an, you're, when you say an aneurysm, you're talking about a... A bubble. Bubble. Yeah. A weak spot with a mm-hmm. wall in the vein... Or an artery, right? It's mostly in the artery, correct. Okay, in the artery. Yeah. Because of that high bubbles pressure, out, right. you hit the weak spot and then it bubbles out. And once it gets past, like a balloon, I was blowing up some balloons from my one-year-old's birthday and I, I found this out the hard way. If you <laughs> blow it past the point where the artery can handle, then you can get a burst. 
yeah. from the blood vessel. And when you're getting, like I mentioned, 20% of the body's blood flow at any given time, if one of these arteries bursts, you're talking about a lot of blood flow mm. going into a place it's not supposed to, and it causes a tremendous amount of problems. D brain damage, right? Brain damage, yeah. mostly, actually a lot of death as well. Yeah. 30 to 50% of patients who have a ruptured cerebral aneurysm will actually die immediately. It's a catastrophic, devastating injury. And then, you know, if you can survive this injury, 30 to 50% of those patients who die, who can survive this actually will die in the first 24 hours. So we're talking about a 60% uh, or so death rate within the first 24 hours. And what is the incidence of this? It's, it's, it's kind of high, isn't it? It's surprisingly high. Yeah. I, I know a lot of my partners have talked about this. There are a lot of patients walking around with these cerebral aneurysms. It's upwards of 3% of the population are walking around with some sort of vascular malformation like this. That could cerebral. one day become a catastrophic mm -hmm, mm -hmm. failure of this system. Correct. Okay, so what... So, what, what do we do? <laughs> Should we all go get brain scans? <laughs> it's a great question. And you know, when I talk to patients about this and when I'm doing this counseling, the important thing to note is the majority of these lesions don't rupture. And it's actually more risky to go into these lesions and treat them than it would be to let their natural history go. Hmm. So I'll take a step back and say, we can't with 100% certainty tell you exactly which one of these malformations are gonna cause you a problem and which one you're gonna go through your entire life with and then you know naturally pass away without having any issues uh, happen. And just die with it with instead it. of from it. That's correct, correct, exactly. And so we do the best that we can and this there's been tremendous research over the last 60, 80 years looking at large center studies of patients who walk around with these vascular lesions or aneurysms like you're talking about. Very large population-based studies. And we take the results of those studies and who ruptures, who doesn't. And they make these large databases and these calculators. And you take a, a specific patient's risk factors and you put them into this algorithm and you do your best to calculate a relative risk of having one of these things rupture over a patient. What are the risk factors there that you're plugging in? It's a great question. And it's and it's not, you know, one size fits all. So that's where the nuance of this patient counseling comes in. And it's the majority of what I do during my counseling of patients. Hmm. Uh, certain things you can do things about, certain things you can't. And every patient is different. So it's important to get the individual evaluated. Specific things that we're talking about that I look for in patients, females tend to have a very slightly higher risk of aneurysm formation mm. and subsequent aneurysm rupture. Um, you know, it's, it's felt to be hormonal. The exact cause of it is unknown. Interesting. You know, when we were talking about earlier, patients who have a congenital history, they have, um, or a family history, I should say, Patients who have a lot of family members, typically more than one, at least two family members with a history of aneurysm or aneurysm rupture, tend to be at a slightly higher risk of getting these things or having them cause a problem. Okay, so look for your family history. Correct, correct. So it's important to know that. Those are two things you can't really do much about, obviously. The things that I tell people, hey, look, this is what you have to control, even if you're young, even if you're healthy, 
blood pressure. Yeah. High blood pressure makes sense. If you have that problem, like I'm talking about, 20% of the blood flow hitting the blood vessels hard, you know, every second of every day of your life, um, that can lead to problems. And it's one of the major factors that cause problems throughout the rest of the body as well. And the brain is no different. Sure. And so you have to keep tight blood pressure control, even if you don't feel like you're having any problems. Sometimes you can, you know, you can do something about that to a large extent. There are familial issues that will cause you to have high blood pressure no matter what. All you can do is do your best to control that. Uh, and then the next thing, and I think the most important thing that's controllable is smoking. I was going to say mm -hmm. that, I mean, that's obvious, right? I take the, you know, the majority of my time when I'm counseling patients, that's what I'm talking about. You know, it's like all of these other things I just told you about, you really have not as much control as you'd like to about it. The smoking is one thing you can. And if I already know that you have an aneurysm, what happens is anything that weakens the vessel, blood vessel wall, the artery or the vein, and that you're doing, you have to stop that essentially immediately. Smoking, even marijuana and you know illicit drugs, what they do is they cause more blood vessel injury. The more that these vessels, which are incredibly made, you know, we're talking yeah. about uh, when you go down to the 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 really cellular level of what's going on, it's incredibly fascinating and something we don't fully understand yet. What we do know is when you get there and you injure these blood vessels and you're doing it, you know, yourself, the the cigarettes with the toxins, the nicotine, uh, increasing your blood pressure, so increased force and stress against the vessel wall, they just get weaker and weaker mm. and weaker over time. And aneurysms, for example, they happen at branch points. So imagine just a, just a high siphon, a hose, like you're talking about hitting this point before oh these blood vessels split. And then you're weakening it further still uh, with all of the, the toxins and all of the, the bad chemicals within Cigarettes. Cigarettes have some. There's something in cigarettes that. Correct. What it? it what it, do we know? What it is? Uh, so it's a lot of the. Um, it's a lot of the different chemicals and things that get brought up within the cigarette themselves, but it's also seen in marijuana as well. So it's not necessarily nicotine. It's not by itself. Other stuff. Correct. Okay. And it's the same way when you have arteriosclerotic disease. You know, uh, heart disease. When cholesterol, high cholesterol. When you're yeah. When, you know, this brings down to the, the blood vessel disease in the neck, whenever I go in with somebody with bad carotid artery disease, similar type issue, they're at high risk for stroke or they've had a stroke. What I do is I make a small incision in their neck, dissect down to their carotid artery and actually open up the artery. Every time we open it up and look in it, you know, the whole OR is amazed at what can be inside your blood vessels oh God, if you don't take care of it. You know, bad diet like we're talking about. The smoking, what you're doing is having these cholesterol plaques just sort of sit at these, oh. you know, branch points of your blood vessel, cause problems over time. So um, you can see it. You can I see an unhealthy yeah. vein or artery. Mm -hmm. It makes me feel bad that when I finish that case and go have a chicken sandwich, because you know, <laughs> you know, you, you know what's happening there. You know, life is about moderation. Yeah. But it really gives you a lesson on what you what actually has happened to your and your body, and as you develop an appreciation for how intricate it is, and you know, the brain is the it's the a, most it's amazing a, it's machine in the world. Yeah. World, I think, universe. You know. Yeah. And when you see that, and then you see what 
we have control over to do it, it really just makes you think and it's uh, eye-opening. And now a message from our sponsor. The Think Neuro podcast is brought to you by Pacific Neuroscience Institute Foundation, a nonprofit 501c3 organization. If you're inspired by what you hear and wish to support our mission of education through innovation, please visit pacificneuro.org foundation. Is it true that I've heard other people say that when they open up a smoker um, versus a person who doesn't smoke in surgery, it's much different? hundred percent. Is that true? Separate from the fact that the risk factors from, you know, even undergoing surgery are so much higher with people who are obese, people with significant heart disease, pulmonary disease, you know, smokers. They, you, I'm sure you've seen those pictures of smokers' lungs. You know, we grew oh, up yeah. in, you know, if you went to public yeah. school, you've seen those pictures of these lungs or any school, I'm sure. You see a smoker's lungs versus normal. That's exactly what happens. So extrapolate that to just having so much more gunk, calcifications, mm. disease inside the blood vessel, and that's a lot smaller than a lung. And when everything needs to be so finely tuned, we're talking about high, the highest performance vehicle out there, your body. And everything needs to be uh, running in optimal fashion. Anything you do to injure that, uh, you really should consider what it's you know doing to everything. I just I just became a vegan oh, right now. No, That's I mean great. in this conversation, <laughs> um, I, I I should I, I feel like that. I yeah I, I'll tell you it's a struggle I have every single day. I see these patients. I go back. I think about it. You know I'm getting older. I'm starting to have kids, and I'm like I really should take better care of myself. You know starting to exercise more. I have uh, a patient, you know, where you asked me to think about some personal patients. Yeah. I have this 97 year old, incredible, incredible guy who, you know, 97, mind you, came to me directly from LAX after being on a business trip for the company that he owns in New Zealand. <laughs> and he started talking about a headache maybe three to five days before the flight. Went to the emergency room over there, got a CT scan, everything was normal, does his business trip, and then is flying over, um, you know, back to Los Angeles, and then in mid-flight, uh, starts complaining of severe headaches, and then becomes completely unresponsive, unable to communicate. Gets to LAX, and my hospital, Providence Little Company of Mary in Torrance, is the the primary center uh, in the vicinity of the airport. So we get a lot of patients who come directly from the airport when they have these in-flight problems. Get brought in, has a giant bleed in his brain. Oh my gosh. A tremendously large oh subdural hematoma. He can't communicate 97 years old. The reason I'm bringing this up, I'm talking, uh, I have a long conversation with the daughter talking about how this is you know, very likely to be catastrophic and very likely to, you know, to kill your father. And even with surgery, there's a high likelihood of death because of just of all the risks of everything and how he looks at that time. Also, he's on blood thinning medications. So the blood is not clotting mm. and stopping as we speak. So the blood is actually getting bigger as the bleeding is getting bigger as we speak. She tells me the story of how he went plant-based 20 years prior, and he is the highest functioning person that that she knows still running his own company still doing international travel um 
would never have considered this before I take them to the OR, uh, do one of these minimally invasive craniotomies that you've heard about. Craniotomy meaning? Uh, removal of the a, bone. Taking yeah. a piece out of your skull to Correct. get in there and fix this. To try to take out that blood that's very thick and tenacious and take the pressure off of the brain. This was three years ago. I saw him in my clinic last week. He, after the recovery, and I'm talking about somebody who was paralyzed on the right side and unable to speak, went back to work yeah, within about six weeks after surgery, fully back to running his business, um, spends a tremendous amount of his time doing philanthropic work. And he came into my clinic with more energy than me. And he filled my clinic about three months after surgery with these books about the plant-based diet the China study, for anyone who's interested, is one of the largest studies that talks about the benefits of the plant-based diet. And uh, I, and this is why. I mean, this That's is amazing. Why. It is. He, so he was almost a goner yeah. when he got off that mm -hmm. flight. And it was and a very controversial thing to take him because of his age, because of how bad he looked and the high risk of having something happen even worse in the operating room. So it was, it was a question as to whether or not you were even going to... I, I felt like I shouldn't take him when I first saw him. But but you did. I Look did. At, yeah, exactly. Incredibly thankful that I did. But we talk about how every single patient is an individual. But then you try to talk about these blanket general population recommendations that you're given, like you just asked me. Oh, uh, you know, going plant-based, going vegan and stuff. I think about this every day when I, you know, see patients oh, like this. Yeah. Um, so we're sitting here in Santa Monica, but you work in Torrance. Tell me, tell me why you're down there. That's right. That's right. So I, you know, I came into PNI, you know, or came around PNI in 2015 as Dr. Dan Kelly and Dr. Garney Barkadarian and Dr. Chester Griffiths uh, fellow. So I did a fellowship in endoscopic skull base and pituitary surgery and minimally invasive cranial neurosurgery. I know during these podcasts, we talk about these minimally invasive brain surgeries, but it's actually very rarely done in the general community. And I think it's probably less than about three to 5% of neurosurgeons in the country and even less in the world that do this type of surgery. I didn't know it was that low. That's right. Yeah. So that's the reason I took specific time. I was at a, uh, you know, I went to a very good training program at the University of Utah where we do all of these different brain tumors and uh, vascular problems, but we typically do them through the traditional route, which is very acceptable, very safe and- Traditional meaning? The big openings big of the brain, open, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, with the large incisions and with the large head shapes, and patients do really what you well. Call that? Head what? Head shapes. Head shapes. Yeah, yeah, not to this point, but you know, you've seen somebody who's had brain surgery. Yeah. half their head is shaved, and that's really more normal than is not. And so, when in this PNI ecosystem, we sort of we lose sight of that. You know, we do a lot of. Uh, talks and lectures at national and international meetings. And then you talk to our colleagues, world-renowned members, and, and that's still what they're doing because it's a very fun, it's a very uh, uh, appropriate way of doing things. We just have a different philosophy. And I personally think the, the better approach, if you can do it safely in the majority of cases, is the, the keyhole way, using the keyhole concept. Which is, describe that, it's... So using minimally invasive approaches to the brain uh, to allow for less, uh, smaller skin incisions, uh, less muscle manipulation, less bony removal, yeah. and less manipulation of the brain to allow for what we consider less collateral damage to the brain. 
you know, getting to the pathology, getting to the problem and dealing with it in its entirety with as little disruption as possible. And we feel that the less you disrupt the brain when you're doing some of these things, the the faster somebody recovers and the better they do. Sure. So that's our philosophy sure. here at PNI. So I we, I got you off track. That's why, right. Why why so why why torrent? You have to so be, why torrent? Yeah. So I yeah. did this fellowship. Yeah. I learned this, and I had been talking with Dr. Kelly about possibly coming back to PNI when I graduated and did my training. Uh, you know, we have a full complement of team members here in St. John's Hospital, and Providence is a system for anyone who doesn't know is actually one of the largest not-for-profit health systems in the country, third biggest actually, and has 60 hospitals from Alaska all the way down to Texas. In Southern California, there's actually 11 Providence hospitals down here. And we see more neuroscience patients than any of the other health systems, essentially most of them combined. Interesting. But until recently, until four years ago, 2017, there wasn't a unified way of managing the 11 hospitals throughout the system. So the regional leadership said, we want to have a more comprehensive, coordinated approach to neuroscience within our 11 ministries. They came to Dr. Kelly, they came to Dr. Griffiths, Dr. Kayseri, and Dr. Krauss and said, we want you to lead the neuroscience efforts across the region. And at the same time, St. John's sister hospital, Little Company of Mary in Torrance and in San Pedro, um, were really trying to make and develop a comprehensive neuroscience program the way we have here. So Dr. Kelly asked me to come back to lead those efforts in building the neuroscience program at Torrance. And geography matters here, right? It really, really because, does. Tell me, tell me why. So, you know, Los Angeles is a very large city. And as everybody knows who lives here, getting around the city is probably as hard as it is anywhere in the world. And historically, for the last 60, 80, 100 years, anybody to have any kind of major complex neurological issue has had to leave the South Bay, which is, in a, which is a group on a large area of about 2 million people. So those patients have had to leave to either go to your Cedar sinai or UCLA or USC or even down to Irvine to get comprehensive neuroscience care. So you've got somebody with a major, say... Stroke, for example. Yeah, or aneurysm. Yeah. And, and time is brain. And that's the mantra we use in in the field. You know, anytime somebody goes without normal blood flow to the brain, either from a bleed or either from a clot that lodges into one of the arteries of your brain, every minute that you go without normal blood flow, there's about a million to about two million brain cells that die a minute. So imagine that many brain cells dying per minute and then a 60 minute ride from Torrance up to the west side to get care. So there was a need. There was an obvious need. The hospital reached out to the system, which reached out to the regional leadership. We reached out to my bosses and said, we need you to do what you did here, down there. So then Dr. Kelly asked me to sort of take everything we learned over here and apply that to Little Company of Marin Torrance. So now there's there's And care that's, that's what we've closer. been trying to do. Yeah. Exactly. For example, the before we got there in 2017, there were about 60 to 80 brain surgeries being done a year, less than that, less than 60 brain surgeries being done a year at that hospital. 
And because they were all going elsewhere. All being brought yeah. up because of the complexity of brain surgery, all, all the things sure. that are needed from the surgeon to the operating room to all of the care that needs to be done to the patient afterwards. And now that's, now how many are you doing now? Uh, so now we are the fourth or fifth busiest brain surgery center in all of LA County. Wow. From less than 20 into that. And what that means, yes, you know, we built this program that did that, but I think it speaks more to the need for comprehensive neuroscience care down in that area. So sure. you're talking about 2 million people. It's a huge area. A huge area and a very proud community who, you know, many of the people have lived there for 40, 50, 60 years. And they're very proud of that area. And they wanted to see the highest level of care being dealt with or given to the, the patients of that community. Sure. Both, uh, you know, both all the sets of patients with, you know, all of the resources in the world um, and, and, um, and patients who are less fortunate and who, you know, rely on sort of the county system. The reason I came to join this group because of the Providence mission and the PNI mission is when we get in to see a patient, it doesn't matter to us if it's uh, somebody on the LA Lakers or somebody who's homeless off the street. Providence does not discriminate and that's the, the Catholic-based mission, which is why I joined this group. So you have the full spectrum of patient and you have the full spectrum of neurologic disease. I don't have to ever think about that when I go in to see mm. a patient, which makes my job easier, where I can focus on higher level things, which is my hope, which is why I joined and why my hope that I can sort of build this uh, neuroscience system, you know, for the rest of my career. And Fantastic. I don't have to look elsewhere. Fantastic. While being a minute and a half away from the water. Yeah. So now you've, you told me you've been up all night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what were you Basically. doing? <laughs> so... You know, like what we're talking about here, the reason they needed us to come uh, to the hospital is because for whatever reason, the South Bay sees a disproportionate number of strokes compared to just the general population. Why that is, I don't know. Well, there's know. another reason you need care there. Care, direct that's, care yeah. in that area. Yeah, yeah that's what exactly. they need. Okay, so anyway. So we had a patient with a very large bleed and uh, started to decompensate. So we were working on What's the patient. What's that mean? Uh, yeah, it started getting worse okay. from the bleeding okay. overnight. Uh, they were in our dedicated neurocritical care unit. So I'll take a step back and say there's the intensive care unit. And for larger neuroscience programs, they have dedicated neurocritical care unit with dedicated intensivists who only focus on the brain and the spine and specific nurses who are specially trained in dealing with issues related to the brain and the spine. Uh, with um, a higher level monitoring of the brain and different technology that you use to mm. basically save more brain. Yeah. I uh, had a patient last night, um, ran into some trouble. We thankfully got him out of that, but you know, it took the majority of the night. It did like five or some odd hours? Uh, yeah, about eight hours. Eight hours? Yeah, to, to manage it and, you know, troubleshoot issues. And, you know, I'm hoping, you know, the patient gets better. Gets here. better. Mm -hmm. Well, I appreciate you coming in after a long night like that. <laughs> no, and, of course, of course. And, uh, it's my pleasure. You're doing very well. <laughs> you're doing really well. If that were me, I wouldn't be able to form a sentence. So. It's, uh, you know, neurosurgery is, I think, the most, I'm a little biased, granted. I think it's the most interesting thing you, know, you can do. And it really is never a dull day uh, or a moment, actually. And you never really think about being tired when you're in there. There's always something going on. It's the sickest patients that there are. It's the most exciting. It's the least known about. And I think the most rewarding. Yeah. You know, stories like the one I told you, you oh know, my about a few minutes ago. Yeah. You just walk around excited all the time. Fantastic. 
Dr. Siva Kumar, thank you for coming. Of in. course. It was a it's delight. It's really a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Think Neuro podcast. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend and leave us a five-star review. For more about Pacific Neuroscience Institute, please visit pacificneuro.org.